Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hi, I'm Dan Feldman. Welcome to this free episode of Dunked On. Uh, in just a few moments, you're going to have Nate and Danny talking about several teams in the West, me talking to you about the Rockets, uh, more specifically Jabari Smith Jr., but that's just a handful of teams in the league uh, because Nate and Danny pride themselves on going so in-depth. And so to get all six episodes, including a Hollander and Dunk episode every week, uh, you've got to subscribe to Dunked On Prime. You can subscribe at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. We hope you'll join us. You can also subscribe to our weekly free mailing list. There's a link to do that in the show description. If you do that, you'll get the daily dunks once per week delivered to your inbox. If you subscribe to Dunk Down Prime, you'd get those about five times a week, including an audio version. But if you're just looking to test out, get those once, uh, get some other roundup of what we're doing, you can subscribe to our free mailing list. Again, that's in the show description. Thanks for listening. Well, well, with about 11 days of basketball in the books, it is time for our first 15 and 60. For those who are new subscribers, what this is, is we talk about 15 teams in a conference. Back in 2015, we had this pathetic ambition that we could get it all done in 60 minutes. That's never once been the case, Danny. I can't think of any it, time. It, it never, it's done. never happened. I think it actually might have started as like 30 and 60. And then we're like, no, we're way too verbose to talk about a team in two minutes or even four minutes. Usually these end up being about eight minutes or so, uh, at least of recording time. Today, I think we're going to just try to get through as many teams as we have the stamina for since we already did a live broadcast. Might save at least some of this to a part two. I know we're going to do that with OKC because we want to get more into their interest interesting start and also bring back a, a tradition dan feldman is going to join us and he did some work on the houston rockets we'll start by talking about them and then do the rest of the league or the conference i should say in alphabetical order the rockets are currently one and six net rating uh negative 10.6 this is all via cleaning the glass by the way unless stated otherwise that's uh 30th in the nba 27th on offense 26th on defense they project for a tanktastic 18 and 64 record, which would be 15th in the Western Conference per the Raptor projections of 538. That's the one based on their player projections. Elo also has some worst in the West, but that's 24 and 58. Elo is more based on the recent team performance. They have a less than 0.1% chance of the playoffs per Raptor. 
Elo gives him a skyrocketing 3%, however, but this has been our first chance, Dan, to see Jabari Smith at the NBA level. What stuck out to you about the way he's been playing so far? I I wanted to focus on Jabari Smith because I had him number one on my draft board, obviously a a little different than you guys, and so far not feeling great about about my pick. Um, I, I think the positive place to start is his shooting. Uh, it's as advertised, give or take. Uh, most rookies struggle to shoot. Uh, you know, he's not laying the world on fire, 35% on three-pointers. That's pretty good for a rookie adjusting to the uh, deeper arc. And 89% on free throws makes you think it's real. So he, he's up there, uh, unlike almost any other rookie in that combination, 35% on three-pointers, 89% on free throws. Uh, where it goes south in a hurry is 31% on two-pointers. Ah! And yeah, um, and this is somebody who I, I think runs the floor hard and gets out in transition. And so it's really just uh, and that may bolster it a little bit. And so is, the half court is uh, is really, really rough. Um, you know, I, I watched uh, a lot of his ha- half court possessions. Um, what surprised me is he's not as reliant on teammates setting him up as you'd expect for a player like him. There were some where the Rockets drove and kicked to him, especially in the corner. He could hit a three. Uh, But a lot of times, and this is where the numbers might disguise it a little bit, he likes to be the trailer and come down and maybe shoot a three. Or or maybe he's going to take one dribble off a kick out if if he's somewhere by the top. And, uh, you know, if there's a hard closeout and take a long two pointer and on those, the teammate might get an assist. So it's going to be a little skewed in terms of was this an assisted basket or not? But I, I don't look at those so much as the teammate setting him up uh, relative to a lot of plays where there'd be an assist. And, and so um, a lot of those shots when uh, when he's trying to do uh, more on his own, it, it's not great. The, those ones where he's the trailer, that's probably the best. And he's shooting from uh, beyond the arc, but he forces some bad shots. And a a lot of times it seems like uh, he's just deciding this is my time to shoot. Uh, This is my time to attack. Like he was going, he was, uh, you know, trying to score one-on-one on on Giannis at times when they played the Bucs. Doesn't seem like the right moment for that. If if he's dribbling and driving, that bodes well for the defense. He's not really doing much as a passer. A lot of the concerns I know you had uh, about him as a a creator, and that's why you were lower on him, uh, those are definitely coming to fruition early if you want to look for a positive you could say at least he's trying these things maybe that bodes well he's very young he's younger than those other top prospects in this draft class and you know maybe you say well if he's got the ambition to try those that we can see he's bad at them um, maybe that's something that's maybe that's better than not trying those at all well so it's interesting when you look at his play types and it, it what you're talking about kind of shows up there 42 possessions on spot ups that is he's had about, got about 100 possessions so far that's basically 42 percent and he will take that jumper off the dribble that looks really good he's uh no not really good it looks good i i guess i would say. good for a rookie uh, yeah yeah and when he puts the ball on the floor he really likes to go left pretty much every time uh and, and you know he's not really going to turn the corner there going left still likes to get to that pull up going left and transition you mentioned running the floor hard as the roll man looks like he's still only 11 possessions here early but you can get some more ideas from the play type but he's going to the pick and pop mostly yeah. uh and a, a lot of times that's just a, an immediate jump shot for him uh, out of the pick and pop uh and again nothing as a passer he wasn't a great passer in college and then he's not really drawing the defense in a way to where it would open up some of the more obvious passes so far what are just like the top line stats for him dan 
overall efficiency usage that kind of stuff so he's at uh 13 points a game uh 6.6 rebounds uh, 0.9 assists with watching him maybe that even seems higher than it than it uh <laughs> than you would think um you know his usage coming into today being sunday or into sunday's game that was uh it was in the high teens around 18 um just spitballing from seeing that game it was uh it probably went down slightly, but but around there. Yeah, and then the true shooting, 48% true shooting. Not great. This obviously has not been a great shooting team the last couple of years, and it's that putrid 31% two-point shooting that's really driving a lot of that. Well, so he hasn't done much as a creator so far. I'm not going to totally rule that out, although at least it was my opinion that he wasn't going to be able to do that much of that anyway. I mean, the self-created stuff hasn't really been there so far yet. Four possessions as a pick-and-roll ball handler, four in isolation, three in post up so basically he's got about two self-created plays per game and they tried running him off screens every once in a while or handoffs every once in a while but maybe that could be something else you know kind of the michael porter jr style of usage mm-hmm. uh but hey if he could play center if he could really be a defensive force just being a floor spacer and kind of a secondary attacker could still be a very valuable player what are the early returns on his defense so it, i thought at around draft time, you know, I, I was surprised that there was so much talk of making him in a center because a lot of ways, and I saw him as like, well, what if he were a shooting guard, right? Because he spends a lot of time out of the perimeter shooting, and I thought his perimeter defense is what really stood out. Um, and I, I think he's gonna have to get a lot stronger to to guard inside to be a center. Um, yeah, that's I mean, even more some, clear some now of those that he's plays. Playing. Some of those plays with Giannis going right out. I mean, granted, that's Giannis, but you know, yeah. most centers so, aren't going to just get knocked on their butt basically by Giannis, uh, which you know he he yes. just Giannis went through him like he wasn't even there time after time in that forty-four point in twenty-eight minute performance last week. So I, I would say, um, just generally defensively to, to start, I, I think he got gets lost sometimes is is jumping at the wrong things like most rookies would. Um, but I one of the reasons I was so high on him at draft time was that I was really impressed by his perimeter defense for his size and I think I've been disappointed by how often he's gotten blown by uh, either by somebody with a quick first step like Jordan Clarkson or someone stronger like Giannis or you could even go below that someone who can bump him and go by um, I still think you're seeing flashes of that perimeter defense maybe somebody who's who dances around a little bit more on the perimeter his length is helpful right if the person can't get by him with that first step or bumping him off it's going to be hard to see past him to make a pass. He, he's good at, at using his length there to to affect the field of vision. Uh, he's on the perimeter a lot. The Rockets are switching with him a lot. Uh, so he's having these opportunities. It's up and down, which, yeah. But at center, that's where it's really, really rough. Uh, per NBA Wowie, he's played 88 minutes at center. So I'm defining that as uh, no Shingun, no Bruno Fernando, and uh, no Usman Garuba. So if they're not on the floor, I'm considering him the center there. And uh, they have their own way of estimating uh, the number of possessions. So just for perspective, for the Rockets on the season, they have a 115.7 defensive rating at NBA Wowie, which is obviously not good. When Jabari Smith is at center, that goes all the way up to 122.4. Yeah, I mean, there's just not the rim protection there. He's just, he can't do it now. Uh, 
I think it's possible only because he's so young and he can add strength just because he's young, but that's totally projecting. Uh, he is just not there right now. Yeah, I think to me, getting stronger will be huge for him. Like he looks big out there when you see him, but mm-hmm. he's never really made the plays at the rim in help defense. And maybe that's something that he can learn. But I also just ha- haven't seen the explosiveness on either end as a leaper. Like he can, he's had a couple of dunks in college where it's like, all right, if he really gets ahead of steam, he can get up and dunk on you. But just minute to minute, you don't see him really using his bounce uh, to the extent he has it in more quick bursts to make plays and you just don't really feel him out there defensively as a guy who's around the ball who's causing problems for the opposition again i think he's gonna be solid in time but i'll stick to my evaluation for now pre-draft which i haven't seen much reason to dispute that he's just gonna be he's he's gonna be a cog defensively rather than the guy one exception to to what you're saying it's not a big one and, and you do see the the leaping limitations you're talking about uh, he's fairly aggressive with as he gets switched on the perimeter, he does get down into rebounding position and is willing to bang around. Now, grabbing the rebound, you know, getting in the right right position, you know, out physicaling somebody, uh, it's not all the way there, but it's maybe somewhat encouraging that he's willing to get down in there and battle for those boards, especially when he's coming from the perimeter so often. All right, well, thanks, Dan. That, that was a, a good start. Looking forward to having you on weekly when uh, your schedule permits. Uh, and Danny, now we can start at the top of the alphabet with the Dallas Mavericks. What are their fundamentals? On the season, the Dallas Mavericks are now 3-3. Three and three. They are 5th in the NBA in net rate at plus 5.9 fourth on offense 18th on defense big step down from the second half of last year raptor projects them to win 50 games which would be third in the west elo same actually for them and basically the same uh playoff estimates 90 and 89 percent respectively how are you feeling about them so far briefly before we talk about some of these crazy games uh, that they've had recently it's a to get to three and three i'm I mean, there are times that they're incredibly fun to watch. I mean, we, we we both saw you saw more of it, but we both saw the end of that Brooklyn game and Luca going wild in overtime. But what concerns me is Dallas earned a place kind of thinking about them as Memphis did, honestly, to me last year at thinking about them more in the playoff parameters and the idea of, well, what are you going to be doing then? And the moves that they made with Christian Wood and JaVale, like from an overall talent perspective. Yeah. I mean, they're both very good basketball players. They and I mean, especially Christian Wood has had some real moments there. But when I think about like, okay, well, how does that reconcile with what they did well last year? I'm still skeptical that this that this the sum of these parts is going to really fit together. Elaborate. Okay, so I thought what Dallas did best last year was being able to be versatile defensively, to have some of those switchy lineups that could also do enough. That also, I mean, something that I loved about them, and they're using Dinwiddie in some of these capacities, to to have different ways that they can beat you offensively. And yes, they're going to be playing two, often three low usage guys to make that defensive theory work. And I like a lot of the stuff that Christian would have said. He's been bought in more in terms of the kind of the parts that he might not be closing games for them. And I think Jason Kidd still doesn't trust him defensively. That's okay. Like, I think he worked with that. And the, the feedback from Christian Wood is positive considering what we've heard and seen in his past. But well, and there have been some of these comments have been really interesting, right? Where like, and Tim McMahon has been all over this story where kid has been saying, Hey, first off, uh, like putting Christian Wood in the, he's been going really well off the bench. He's been scoring really well. And my thought would be, Hey, give him a shot in the closing group just to see because he's been so good on offense 
Yes. I don't think you say, well, okay, well, this is all you can do. Like, let's not screw it up. Let's get, you know, he can succeed already in this role. So let's see if we can expand. We can turbocharge this offense. And especially if we're going to pair him, say, with Kleba, maybe we can get enough uh, on the defensive end. Or Harris, the thought, maybe he could even improve over the course of the season if he gets a, a few more reps uh, because he does have some tools there. However, Kid did try that against OKC and they had one of the most disastrous closes to a game in NBA history. The stat on that as they lost a 16-point lead in the last four minutes was that NBA teams were 9,975-1 and when leading by 16 points or more in the final four minutes of the fourth quarter over the last 25 years, and that is now 9,975-2 and after the Mavericks lost to the Thunder, and we'll talk more about the Thunder end of that tomorrow. But anyway, yeah, so the roundabout way of talking about how uh, Jason Kidd has kind of been reluctant to go to, to Christian Wood there, and, and sorry for the long aside, but uh, yeah, please it's a continue. worthwhile aside. But so, yeah, I mean, so the idea basically being you're giving up something, you're adding something, and, and then at there, and, and a lot of it also, like, you don't want to get into the, the sins of the Jalen Brunson thing because that, you know, it already happened. It is what it is, and there's nothing that can happen to change it. So I and Luca, you know, we have seen some absolutely incredible Luca performances, even when they're leaning on him heavily in crunch time. I, you know, we've also seen a couple games already this season where in those late minutes, he's looked pretty damn gassed and the pressure heats up dramatically. So I think Dallas is good. I think they're going to be, you know, I, I picked their over for a reason. But if we're thinking about them in terms of like winning two to three series, it's a lot to ask. I feel pretty good about their offense. That 119 fourth in the NBA, that's where I really thought they could be. I think they are getting more on the interior than they have in past years. And yeah, definitely worried a little bit about the depth, worried if Luka misses games. They haven't really had much in the way of injuries yet. But I mean, with the efficiency that Wood has, it's impossible for their offense not to be a, a lot better with the way uh, he's being set up. So I feel pretty good about them. Uh, Luca, you mentioned his heroics. He is the first player since Michael Jordan in 86-87, which was Jordan's third season in the league when he averaged 37 a game and really announced that he was going to be here to stay as a superstar. The first player to score at least 30 points in his team's first six games of the season, and he did it uh, by halftime. It is weird, though. He really does seem to be so much better in first halves than uh, at the end of games. Um, but he was fantastic in this Nets game where in the last four minutes... It was really close. Luca did have a huge turnover when double teamed by Ben Simmons. I thought that was actually a really interesting matchup where Luca was able to just go right at Simmons. They, he was calling up Simmons on switches when Simmons was playing at the five and went right through him for a couple of buckets on the strong right-hand drive, but then Simmons was able to get some stops, got that deflection. Then in the second half, though, Luca set up three straight three-pointers right at the start of overtime, and that basically ended things. And so he he's on pace to be MVP. It's just, I think, a question whether they're going to win more games. There's a lot of people are going to be heard from, too. Giannis and the Bucks are 5-0 and as well. I think there are a lot of other kind of interesting strategic things in that Nets game. They got a, away from this Compazzo and Josh Green together look. The closing lineup was interesting. Like, Wood wasn't really in it. Even Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't in it either. And they went with Tim Hardaway Jr. in that spot. Dinwiddie came on for the final possession 
uh, in of regulation but you would, tim hardaway jr would not be the guy you would think of as going to be out there with all the options that they have but it, it ended up working out as they won that one in, in overtime Dinwiddie, by the way continues to look really good shooting the three any just like general statistical lines from some of these players that stick out to you before we move on to the nuggets obviously with the usual caveats that were uh, a week and a half into the season i mean we talked about this a lot last year luca is currently shooting 23 percent from three taking 8.7 per 36 minutes we'll have to keep an eye there and then and also i mean just some of the, the crazy numbers 31 percent defensive rebounds for luca coming into tonight against the magic usage of 41 percent i think russell westbrook is and harden like some of those years like 38 percent is about the highest that we've seen over the course of a full season his turnovers are way down though which helps and and considering too that part of usage is turnovers luca is probably just creating the most shots of just about anyone so far and but yeah you mentioned the the three-point shooting still pretty impressive that he's getting to 58 percent true shooting which is kind of above where he's been sure and also this is huge for him 84 percent from the foul line and he's taking 11 free throw attempts per 36 minutes so that's a big jump for him where he's had some of these inexplicable lapses at the foul line if that if he can just maintain that 80 percent free throw shooting all year i think that would be a massive improvement in where he's at because he's been in the low 70s for so it's a relatively small point i i mentioned before you know dfs and bullock and then kleba three guys that were in a lot of their best lineups last year that they're low usage players each of them is significantly lower than last year so they were each between 13 and 14 percent usage last year using basketball references version of the stat they're each 11 percent or below so far this year the lowest of that trio so far this season reggie bullock 9.6 usage though he is at 57 percent true shoot yeah i mentioned dinwiddie's three-point shooting he's at 52 percent christian wood is at 59 percent so that that's going to go down Finney Smith's in the mid 20s. Uh, that's going to go up. As a team, they are shooting 37%. So I think, and remember, part of why they were so terrible at the start of last year was that nobody could hit a shot. They're in the low 30s for really the whole first half of the year. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house 
else. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about it all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us let's move on to denver now they are four and three after a eh, kind of an ugly loss at la and we'll talk about that as uh, our main segment here 20th in net rating overall in the league negative 1.1 10th on offense been a little disjointed with mpj he was back but missed a couple of games with lumbar soreness murray has been on the minutes limit not playing every game either but they are 24th in defensive rating they are dead last by the way in field goal percentage allowed at the rim uh, coming into tonight against the lakers and they definitely got chewed up in the paint quite a bit they project though to still tie with the mavs at 50 and 32 in raptor elo less impressed 42 and 40 uh but point so that leads to a big divergence in the playoff odds with raptor based on who's on this team and what raptor thinks of them 90 percent chance elo a little rougher 59 percent chance so this game against the lakers i thought it was really interesting we'll uh, of course weed the lakers in as well day i'm sure you will hold me accountable to make sure we do the lakers stats hopefully at some point what do you got or, or it was, was that def- what you're about to do no no i was gonna do it later um i, I mean okay. it, it was definitely from from denver's perspective because we're kind of ostensibly starting with them it was definitely awkward to see yeah, there were some late scratches bones highland didn't play in this game and so that meant that mike malone and i believe there was a second late scratch yeah ish smith yeah so that ish, ish smith I think was, did play early but then uh he ended up uh, having to leave the game did not having play to leave, in the yes. second half so then that meant that the kind of the playmaking responsibilities have to shift around a little bit. Bruce Brown has at times in his career been a lead creator and, you know, he had four assists overall in the game. But that is that is an adjustment. And 
generally speaking, we say that teams can do more to control the frequency of opponent three-pointers rather than the success, and this was the first game all year, that the Los Angeles Lakers have actually made their threes. Did you think there was anything specifically different about the threes that the Lakers were generating in this one? Not really. Uh, I think LeBron was taking fewer off the dribble, but Matt Ryan took three of them, uh, but Russ made two out of four from downtown. I I wouldn't say so. I mean, they're 13 out of 30. It wasn't 30 is not a crazy number of attempts. Um, From Denver's perspective, though, the biggest takeaway for me was the continuing changes of cast of characters with that bench group when they went with the all bench group initially in the season part of the reason they had to do that with porter jr and murray trying to work back in those would be the two candidates to potentially stagger on the second group and those guys just don't have enough minutes don't have enough games to really do that however in the first half they did get porter jr out there with their second group and that didn't look too bad at all in fact porter jr was plus 10 for the game in part because they made a nice little run with their bench unit out there and their bench unit actually survived for a while at the start of the second quarter with lebron and ad both out there after the nuggets had taken a nice little lead in the first with Jokic out there and and lebron and ad off the floor with westbrook who came off the bench running the second unit then however with this smith out they really were struggling to find anything malone does not want to play Jokic the entire first or third quarter so end of the third quarter as the lakers go on a 13-0 run that eventually stretched to 17-0 right at the start of the fourth your lineup is bruce brown devon reed who came in for ish smith christian brown jeff green and deandre jordan malone ended up going back to jamal murray who played 32 minutes to start the fourth but then he couldn't be out there when the rest of the starters came back in with his minutes limit again he ended up plus 13 in a game they lost by 11 and some of these off the bench plus minuses were atrocious jeff green was negative 26 bruce brown was negative 28 christian brown negative 20 in 13 minutes failed to score reed was negative 11 in three minutes so that this is going to be i think a theme all year long and demarcus cousins wore out his welcome there but also gave them somewhere to go on their second unit a year ago he really stabilized them and i don't even think deandre jordan is like playing that terribly to start the year he's been better than i expected i don't really put some of these issues on him i think he's been looked a little bit bouncier around the rim and yeah you know he's not giving you a ton on defense but i don't think he's played at like a level way worse than a backup center it's just they don't have much creation on that second group and then particularly with highland struggling and highland has had some big quarters like against the warriors but overall he missed this one with a hip injury bones highland 50 percent true shooting on 32 usage so it's going to be hard and he really has not done a ton else he's actually passed the ball a little bit but uh i think it's still asking too much of him to be the only creator on some of the bench groups let's see what else was there from the nuggets perspective you saw the flashes of the Jokic murray combo there's one play where murray comes off the handoff the top of the key gets to the lane line help comes goes behind the back to Jokic. Jokic has a beautiful spinning and one on damian jones so the ability to actually get Jokic the ball on the move. The other thing that stuck out to me, again, I've talked about this. I mean, this is maybe a weird designation because the floor hasn't been spaced as much and centers haven't really been this versatile. But I would say Jokic might be the best cutting center of all time as well, which is crazy given how good he is with the ball. But he'll just, when he gets screens, 
going into post-ups he'll just face cut in front of the guy move off the ball then he can make the play larry bird like it in space tic-tac-toe immediately upon receiving it so there are a couple of those plays but that's where Jokic, as good as he is when you just throw him the ball if he's on the move with the defense in rotation even slightly he's going to carve that up so obviously being able to get back to that is good uh, but before we move on let's get to the lakers stats with the yeah. win on sunday they are one in five they were the last winless team but now they are no longer winless they are after the win 26th in net rating negative 5.5 per 100 possessions 30th in offense third in defense which is a big reason to be optimistic about them raptor and elo currently pretty much in agreement 32 wins 31 wins both of which are 12th in the western conference and they're pretty much in line in terms of the lakers playoff odds and remember for 538 this is playoffs not play in so it's making it into the final eight as far as i can recall 12 percent 15 percent respectively well you recall correctly and yay this game was a tale two has for lebron james and lebron i think his overall stat lines are going to look totally good this season as they did a year ago but there is kind of a a feeling that he can't as time goes on he can't quite bring the same effort level all the time even on offense at this point and that was apparent as he missed his first four layups of the game and at one point was one of seven in the restricted area against the league's 30th best rim protecting team each of the last three seasons including this one there are just plays where you're like oh that's a bucket and he would just miss the layup it's just weird uh and you know he's jumping off of that preferred left leg that still has a lot of steam in it but i think he's just sometimes when you're old and you jump you don't get the lift that you're necessarily expecting to particularly when he's not you know, at really just like full boil on his attacks and then he came out in the third quarter and really set the tone he had three plays in a row where he just went right through his man he went right through mpj he went right through jamal murray he went right through aaron gordon all of those just for layups right at the rim he put those in and overall for the game after a four of 12 first half six of 10 in the second hit a big three as well and only had three turnovers eight assists uh, leading the lakers with 26 points so uh, he ended up probably being the best player out there in the end in this game despite the difficult half and then the other thing that i thought was really interesting is this russ off the bench he's always going to be somewhat frustrating but he was plus 18 at 18 points in 32 minutes closed both halves and danny did this thing you've never really seen him do this before where his teammates are dribbling the ball and russell westbrook ran up to the guy who was guarding him and stood there briefly as his own teammate dribbled towards him and then russell westbrook ran away from the spot where he was standing and received the ball and made a couple of plays i i didn't really know what what to make of it Incredible. it's a dream come true and for westbrook i mean there there is an element of this i i invoked the uh the i, I think it was during the week vince carter had said a thing on his podcast about basically like understanding that you can't be the same player anymore and i thought you know because vince the evolution in his game is so striking you know becoming going from being a star to being a role player and everything else like that and for Westbrook, you know, it has been better the last couple of games since he's been off the bench and going to a four from three is going to help and still, you know, not a ton of defensive playmaking. He Russell Westbrook has seven steals on the season, but five of them came in one game, which is a little bit bizarre that clip that that close loss to the Clippers. And there, as you said, there, there are ways that he can improve his place within the offense, his place within this Lakers paradigm. And, and that's definitely a positive. It does appear to be that there is more buy-in from Westbrook and that's a positive. And I mean, 
Anthony Davis, I, I watched more towards the end of the game rather than the beginning. But I mean, AD putting up 23 and 15, including six offensive rebounds, when by the end of the game, he could barely even move. Impressive. Yeah, AD is kind of at this point where he's putting up the least impressive, like 10 for 18 shooting games. And he had six blocks the other night. Only had one this time. But I, I thought he played Jokic to a draw. And Jokic has been kind of, he's been taking it as easy as some of these other players have worked into it. This year, he's got 70% true shooting coming into this game, but only 23% usage. And he was only took 16 shots in this one had six assists. So they, he hasn't been as aggressive as he's trying to help these other guys get their footing. You know, Aaron Gordon has, has been trying to explore the space a little bit more as well and and with porter being back murray took 21 shots tonight i want to talk a little bit about him before we, we move on uh the lakers uh, to, to finish up on westbrook yeah i think his defense has been the best i've seen it since at least the kd days in okc and he's been getting through screens he's been defending more difficult matchups in the post he had four offensive rebounds in this one too two of four from three hit a corner three as the fans were kind of semi-cheering semi-jeering him and then he came down got dared to shoot a three by contavious caldwell pope and he drained it over him and then of course he came down in the next possession and just shot a three right away that that miss you know he heat check because you just made two in a row after you've been like under 31 percent from three your entire like last six years whatever uh but he also he just was playing with confidence like he he hit a three and actually like the cameras caught him smiling and he had a play in the first half where he just got to the free throw line against jamal murray put him in the mix between his legs a bunch of time went right which is not his preferred direction blew past him for a layup and then did a little like mock celebration like pantomiming the move that he just made he just looked more comfortable he had one chance where lebron uh, at the end of the third i think it was blew past his man and russ cut along the baseline and russ was about to throw down a thunderous dunk and he just lost the ball out of bounds which was pretty deflating to what was a great laker crowd i, I thought tonight so this is a, an encouraging win for the lakers against a close to full strength nuggets team well and the oh, ad quick, yeah good sorry yeah. just quickly on the close to full strength good to see contavious caldwell pope back you remember he had a sprained right, left ankle. ankle and he was able to come back good good and for the lakers i thought wenyan gabriel was their main guy off the bench as the center they played damian jones two minutes he gave up this sweet spin move to Jokic and was negative six in two minutes and they put in gabriel and i think gabriel he took a couple of jumpers which were not close but he does provide the most defensively of any of their guys. And I mean, they played AD 37 minutes and he played every single minute that he played has been at center. I think, I don't know, actually, I think for this whole year, I don't know if he's played a single minute that hasn't been at center yet, which is very interesting. And AD, when I said he fought Jokic to a draw, like he was working Jokic from the mid-range, had the mid-range jumper working, was attacking off the dribble, went behind his back for a mid-ranger at one point. So there was at least a little bit of freedom for some of these Lakers players feeling good. It's just, again, when AD comes down with the offensive rebound, tips it in, and then you hear the scream out through the TV, and then he like can't run back. You know, he just missed games with the low back. It's you do wonder if the house of cards could come crashing down because if they lose him, it, it's really hard to imagine them even being having home court in the play in, frankly. But I they haven't been as bad as they've looked. I would say Patrick Beverly offensively has continued to really struggle. Like his three pointer just looks way off right now. And and Austin Reeves got more minutes than he did. Kendrick Nunn looked like he might be one of the better shooting options for the Lakers. He only had three minutes in this game. And I want to close this section talking about Jamal Murray. The nine and 21 was good. 
That was only six out of 14 from two. And I thought he did struggle somewhat to create separation to get his, and he got a couple of late clock prayers that went in. There were some times when he really could not get the space to get his shot off in the midridge. And Morris was right on this. When he and I talked, he said, you know, I don't know if Jamal is in like elite, elite shape in terms of just his physical ability to create that ISO separation. And that was what really made that great bubble run for him when, you know, if you they put like a Joe Ingles type on him for the Jazz, he was just cooking a guy like that. Um, and also for the Lakers, uh, Lonnie Walker has yes, he's had a couple of really nice games so far. Plus fifteen, three of five from three. His jumper looks confident. He's good for them in transition. He had a couple of big block shots, so he's a he's been a reasonable option for them at the guard position. He played thirty five minutes tonight. Definitely a positive for the Lakers, and I, I like the energy he can bring in transition. They're getting developing some some transition chemistry. We can move on to the Golden State Warriors, and the Warriors are a very surprising three and four because two of those losses have come on the road over the weekend to the Charlotte Hornets and the Detroit Pistons. The Warriors are now down to 18th in net rating. They're actually being outscored negative 0.8 points per 100 possessions, 15th in offense, 21st in defense. Both 538 models still optimistic, 5th in the West in both of them, still thinks they're between an 80 and a 90% chance of making the playoffs. And fortunately for the Warriors, because you and I attend so many home games, we don't watch as many road games. So instead, we are going to talk about one of their home games, which they actually won. Yeah, and at 3-2, and two, beating the Heat, who then also lost to the Kings in a later game. So they're, the Heat are 2-5, and five, so maybe that's not as good of a victory as we thought it was. But yeah, they look pretty good at home. They pulled away gradually. Uh, one of the things that was really interesting in that game that I just wanted to ask people about was the Heat started out with Kyle Lowry guarding Draymond Green. And they basically stuck with that, I think, with the idea that, A, Lowry is stouter than your average guard. So they tried really hard to just front in the post on Draymond, not let him get it, because that's a trigger for so much of that Warriors off-ball screening action. And then Lowry, of course, could switch on to someone like Steph coming off a, a Draymond screen if they wanted to go that route. But the Warriors generally had a pretty good plan against Miami and really outplayed them where at home where they're three and one as opposed to zero and three on the road they got a lot of bam out of bio switched out in the perimeter and then were able to attack the rim Steph Curry looked fantastic didn't get to see him in either of these games over the weekend where he struggled to shoot the ball from three he had been really fantastic before that but he's been 30 points or more I think in all but one of their games and he closed this one out by really causing problems on the perimeter like in the first half he blew by out of bio for a layup and it seems like when they get a, enough spacing out there he's gotten so strong now that it's really more about him using his shoulder turning the corner he had a play where he actually knocked one of the stouter miami defenders off of him stepped back behind the three-point line he crossed up tyler hero ridiculously ugly and made a three in his face so at the end of the game they really could not deal with him miami couldn't when they were switching i'm interested to see how it was that charlotte was able to stop him a little more at the end of the game he said he blamed himself trying to go for too much hero ball at the end 
Um, you know, Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, good. Sorry. That's exactly where I wanted to go. So Andrew Wiggins had an effective offensive first half, but after bolstering his justifiably so bolstering his defensive reputation, much maligned, especially by the two of us earlier in his career defensively, I thought he was genuinely bad defensively in the win over the heat. He was getting beat off ball. He was inconsistent on ball and the Warriors defense. It's a part of it. It can make them really, it can make them a lot shakier when they're playing. You know, when Wiggins isn't quite there, and especially considering how much in certain lineups they're leaning on the young guys, it, you know, you swap out some of that stuff, you know, you don't have the stability of Iguodala and everything else. Like, I was stunned at how bad I thought he looked defensively. Yeah. And Jimmy Butler, of course, knows him from their Minnesota days. And oh, yeah. Speculation that Butler didn't care for him. It seems now that that ire was more directed at Carl Anthony Towns. But certainly Wiggins was not uh, not that great when Butler was there. And it seemed like Butler really knew him pretty well in this game. The Warriors turnovers were absolutely insane. Miami ended up with 16 steals. Butler had a career high six plus two other deflections that went out of bounds that probably should have been steals. So the Warriors were throwing it all over the gym. They just were scoring at will basically whenever they didn't turn it over. And Wiggins, you know, there are a number of times when Butler came down from the nail to strip Wiggins knowing exactly when it's going to spin, exactly when it's going to try to attack the gap Wiggins had 16 in the first half but then only two in the second and then he he played very poorly in the two back-to-back losses uh golden state played a ton of zone it was a two three it was pretty good in the half court miami zone was pretty good too but of course when you have a chance to set up the zone that means by definition it's a half court possession whereas usually you're not going to be in the zone on a miss where you can't set up the defense so there's always going to be a bias in those per possession numbers in favor of the zone to some degree but the golden state zone did work pretty well against miami butler hit four three-pointers with the you know how he oscillates between shooting the set shot or the jump shot when he is not isn't on the move he'll shoot the set shot i think all of his makes were set shots which was interesting the warriors were clearly going to let him shoot and during the regular season that's normally a good move but maybe you're treating this more like a playoff game but butler wasn't able to get going in much in the second half after a, a dominant first half i thought miami should have closed this one without tyler hero he wasn't that great on offense and he, the warriors will generally not pick on guys too much explicitly in the regular season in the first 43 minutes of the game well maybe not maybe they'll do it some at the end of the first half too but they went to their spacing group and they're able to kill hero as well um i asked by the way the lowry guarding draymond i asked eric spolstra why they did that and uh, here's what he had to say coach uh, rick mentioned uh, the, having to be a little creative with these guys that you spent a lot of the evening with kyle lowry guarding uh draymond green what was the thinking there how do you think that went oh he's a uh major factor um you know to their offense uh you know he's such a brilliant passer playmaker you try to take away some things that they're really good at and and yet they still have the the skill and talent you know to knock down big shots uh curry shot in front of our bench um you know at the end of the clock uh you know that's just creating something out of nothing clay thompson had a big one you know coming off coming off a screen and we're draped all over them. So they, they have the ability to do that, but, uh, you know, Draymond unlocks a whole another level of, of their offense. And you have to have somebody that can match them competitively, and Kyle can match anybody competitively in this league, and you have to have somebody that can match his, his brain. And Kyle's one of the, the smartest guys uh, in the history of this game. So we just felt he matched those two things together gives uh, uh, at least something that uh, that we can do that that might uh, disrupt 
a part of their offense. And then I asked Draymond the same thing, and this was his response. I've seen teams try a lot of interesting stuff to slow you guys down. I don't think I recall them putting their point guard on you before like they did today with Kyle Lowry. What did you make of that, and, and how did y'all try to attack it? Uh, I've seen it before. Um, we just play. You know, it's not trying to necessarily single it out or make something of it. We're going to play our game. Um, you know, I think when teams do stuff like that, they, they're doing it so you go away from what's naturally comfortable. Uh, you know, not necessarily that that's going to stop what we do, but more so just want you to go away from it. So I think for me and for us, uh, it's just continuing to do what we do regardless of what the matchups are. Um, you know, just... And there, there are ways to take advantage of things like that. And I think, you know, late down the stretch, I did, you know, took advantage of one of those ways to take that you can take advantage of a team doing that. So I, I think what Draymond was talking about was he got a key offensive rebound over Lowry late and was able to kick it out. Unlike Draymond, I couldn't really think of a time when they the other team was like, yeah, we're going to put the point guard on you as the primary assignment. Obviously, it'll get switched onto him. But Lowry, due to his strength in the post, I think was uh, an interesting. Boil for Draymond with how hard he plays, how hard he was willing to fight to prevent him from getting the ball. The word, one of the counters they had was uh, in an ATO to set up one of their pet screening plays for stuff with Draymond passing out of the post. They actually set a screen for Draymond to get to the post and then Draymond threw it away on, on a back door to clay for uh, yet another Miami steal. So yeah, golden state uh, concern level about them real quickly before we move on. Still relatively low. I, I think that the theory behind this team is still pretty sound and they're going to work through this depth stuff. I'm very interested in why Ty Jerome has been in the rotation. Now they've been shorthanded a little bit the last couple of games. They've yeah. had guys I mean, without DiVincenzo, I think that's basically it, right? They, yeah, they don't want to put, they don't want to put Jordan pool out there without anyone else. You can dribble basically. Sure. I guess that, I guess that's the theory of the case and they're not fiddling too much with the rest of the rotation to accommodate the temporary absence of DiVincenzo. So, well, I, I, guess. I mean, their defense has, has been pretty bad. The only time they've been able to defend, basically, has been with Draymond and Looney and Wiggins all on the floor together. The young guys have been bad. Wiseman, I think his defensive struggles are starting to get into his offense a little bit. They had to play Anthony Lamb, who I guess they view as a big man, which is kind of weird. Uh, you know, Jerome has been okay within his limitations but he's another terrible defender he just does not have any athleticism from an nba standpoint so anytime someone isolates you know like gabe vincent was hitting like turnaround fadeaways on him but it was you know it's basically like he was practicing against a chair because jerome is just that unathletic but he could make a shot every once in a while and pass and dribble a little bit but he's just not an nba athlete he's not going to help their defense you know he and pool together and then you throw in wiseman as well they tried switching up Looney and Wiseman's minutes a little bit, so it's not quite an all-bench group. Clay, if he's off his minutes limit, maybe he can come in and stabilize that second group a little bit as well. They've tried putting Wiggins in there. Some also. and But I think Draymond overall has looked pretty good, and Seth has looked pretty good. So as long as you got those two guys and you just assume that 
their top six that is going to come along eventually. And but this might be a year, Danny, where if Wiseman and Kaminga can't really come through for this group, maybe this is the year that the Warriors actually make a trade to get someone. And they do have all their first round picks going forward, except for their 2024. The financial calculus of that will be difficult, but we can keep an eye on that. And yeah, that's true. I mean, what's what's the matching salary, right? Right, that exactly. That does become hard. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Do you want to save? Do you want to talk about the Clippers now, or do you want to save them? Because I know we're going to talk about OKC. How do you want to handle this? Now let's let's get to them because I I think they're, and clearly at this pace we're on, we're not going to get through all these teams today. But sure, they're um, the story du jour, and they, they really are. Yeah. I'll get I'll go through their stats because uh, I think you're going to do more of the talking overall. The Clippers, yeah. they're af- after their disappointing loss to the Pelicans. They are two and four on the season. The Clippers are 28th in net rating, negative 8.7, 29th in offense, and 8th in defense. And both Raptor and Elo actually have them finishing ninth in the West, but with dramatically different records. 42 wins in Raptor, 37 in Elo, and that is connected to their playoff odds, 61% in Raptor, 35% in Elo. A couple pieces of news before we get and talk about some of the other stuff. Robert Covington is now in the health and safety protocols, so that takes somebody out of the rotation. Also, Kawhi Leonard is going to miss, I believe he's going to miss their next two games um, due to the, There have also been, just generally in the league, a lot of non-COVID illnesses going around, and it does seem like there's maybe, particularly with some of these protocols, relaxed. It's very interesting that, oh, hey, at the same time, there are a number of guys in health and safety protocols. There are also guys on the same teams missing games with non-covid illnesses that's that's rather odd but so it seems like there may be some 
avoidance of the COVID diagnosis. So clearly the Suns didn't have anyone missing time when, and now there's reporting afterwards that there was, there are COVID absences there. I don't honestly have that big of a problem with it. I think at this point, COVID probably shouldn't be treated much differently for these guys when everyone could be vaccinated than anything else. But it's worth noting, I think, a lot of these. Because you just didn't see guys missing as many games due to non-COVID illnesses before COVID. So I I do think there, there might be something to that. Again, I can't prove that. It's just speculation. But particularly paired with the reporting of a lot of players supposedly having had COVID in the playoffs or whatever. And it seems like it's only the really extreme cases like Paul George in the play-in game. And George himself is actually coming off a non-COVID illness, and he's really struggled in the last two games, as we'll talk about in a second. So that's something to keep in mind. If that's going through the team, that maybe that can explain partially why they are playing so poorly. But what they put on film is what they put on film so far. And that film has also featured the continuing absence of one Kawhi Leonard. It has. And so Leonard did not play on Sunday and he is not going to play on Monday when they play the Rockets due to knee stiffness is the is the word. So that means that Kawhi Leonard will have missed a week because the last time he played was on Tuesday in their game against the Thunder. So that's a concern and kind of expectation setting might be part of this from Ty Lue. Nick Batum apparently said a few days ago that it would take some time for this to happen. And so what Ty Lue said is he thinks it's going to take about two months before the Clippers can get up to speed, considering Kawhi Leonard going in and out of the lineup and John Wall on a minutes restriction. As I said, I think a lot of that is expectation setting. But considering how much credible depth we thought the Clippers were going to start the season with, and some of that might be people, you know, age-related regression hitting a bunch of different people at the same time, which would be... Hopefully that's incorrect. Hopefully that's not the way this is actually going to work. But that if that if correct, that means that Paul George and Kawhi are going to have to do more heavy lifting than we expected. We know that Kawhi can't do that right now. And Paul George has has not really done that. So going into today's action, Paul George was shooting or he had 55 percent true shooting on 28 percent usage. And then you add in the night, he played 28 minutes today. 14 points on 5 of 19 from the field, only got to the foul line twice and turned it over four times, negative 10 in their 21-point loss. Yeah, and PG in the game on Thursday against OKC, 10 points, 4-12, didn't have a steal or a block, only took four threes. He also was doing the PG thing where he kind of stumbles towards the rim and tries to get a foul call when he's totally off balance, which he can look doesn't look the most graceful with that at the best of times, but it really looked like he was struggling and the Clippers were negative 25 in PG's minutes. uh, And that Thursday loss to OKC as they lost a set there, uh, which PG didn't play in the first of those. And then was coming back to the illness and uh, law Murray reported. He was kind of hacking a cough in the locker room after this one. He took responsibility for playing poorly, but also it seems like he's not exactly a hundred percent right now and 11 to 39 for three today against New Orleans as they were blown out of their own gym 112 to 91 
and coming in, they were 27th in the NBA in three-point shooting. So that's one thing that I think will get better for this group, uh, that they're just going to hit shots. They have proven three-point shooters on this team. However, Reggie Jackson, 48% true shooting coming into tonight. He was 4 of 12, 1 of 7 from 3 in this game against the Pels. And John Wall, as you mentioned, has looked good, but he's going to be not playing in back-to-backs. He's not going to play tomorrow against Houston, in which both teams will actually be on the second end of a back-to-back. And John Wall, I think, is better, although he was negative 19 today. John Wall is better than Reggie Jackson at the moment, but he's also a harder fit. Reggie Jackson can kind of can play off the ball more than John Wall, and John Wall is he's always going to be a little bit higher usage maybe than you want him to, although we'll see what it looks like when he can get into rhythm with uh, PG and Kawhi you know, sometime in the 2025 season. Oh, boy. And one of the other kind of parts, I, I focus, I watched more of the first half of their eventual loss to the Pelicans than I did the second half, is that in the first half, it was a fairly close game. I mean, so at, at halftime, it was, well, it was tied. It was 52-52, and New Orleans, like, they had this, horrendous shooting stretch early in the game and so you kind of thought okay that's going to bounce back to the mean and then you know it did they were 15 to 36 from from three they were you know they ended up with efficient nights from a lot of their key players and so like for the Clippers it's just they they don't have the floor that I thought they did and we haven't quite seen the ceiling yet either and it's not you know like I I like to focus on what a team's going to be like in March and April for justified reasons for teams that I expect to make it there but not only because of seeding, but because of the uncertainty that Kawhi is is going to be that guy at all. Like it's not. I'm not saying it's going to get late early for them, but having an extended tough stretch at the start of the season is going to make it really hard because of how strong the rest of the Western Conference is. Yeah, and the rest of these guys just have to start playing better because Kawhi is probably not riding to the rescue anytime soon. And if he does start playing again, he's going to be doing this weird thing where he's not even coming into the game until there's six minutes left in the second quarter and then immediately taking out over the offense and getting everyone else out of rhythm. I watched that full game against the Thunder. We'll save some of the Thunder observations for later because they've been uh, one of the stories of the season so far to me. I thought Norman Powell was very aggressive as a driver. He was seven out of eight from two in this one and had 21 points. He moved to the bench against the Pels because that's going to be his eventual role. But he started here. The Thunder do not have much, if any, rim protection on this team. Darius Baisley had a nice game with three blocks. But guys were able to get downhill. Wall was also effective there. But Powell still just doesn't seem, and maybe I just missed this in some of his other stops, that he really has been struggling with scheme. It seems like just a lot of miscommunications when he's involved in switches and and they give up a breakdown or, or an easy drive. As it was, again, he hasn't played many games in a Clippers uniform, but as it was in that playing game against Minnesota last year, he Nick Batum had to basically like use the joystick on the controller to move him around in their zone offense and finally got him to set a screen that then set up a drive that set up a Batum corner three. But he didn't really seem to have a, just a great understanding of what they're trying to accomplish in some of these sets or not a great communicator defensively. They've also been missing Marcus Morris up until recently with a personal absence, but he, he played against the Pels. So just like, and then they've also just been kicking the ball all over the gym. 19 turnovers on Thursday. They had a ton on, I think it was Tuesday as well. The first loss of that set against the Thunder. So between turnovers, rebounding, which has been extremely poor, and the lack of three-point shooting, you know, this just had not been a, a good team. The one 
thing you can probably take solace in is their defense has still been pretty good so if they can just start hitting shots and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can be Kawhi Leonard and Paul George they're probably be fine uh, one 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 yeah. one stat that was really striking i actually talked about this with mo dekeel on real gm radio this week it's an unusual double the clippers are currently last in offensive turnover rate 17.7 percent of their own possessions and they're also last in forcing turnovers 11.1 percent of opponent possessions that well, is and, a and that's dis- that's a huge surprise i mean with covington you know batum is a guy who's made plays before obviously Kawhi and pg but Kawhi has barely played uh they, they are, do have a plus 13 net rating in the Kawhi plus pg minutes all 39 of them that have occurred over two games so far this year so yeah i mean you would expect that they would uh, john wall is someone who's been able to make plays defensively in the past like they should be able to make more plays than they've been making uh, on defense but again i i think they should get better i'm not ready to hit the panic button yet but i'm also not going to expect them to just like start winning their next game all of a sudden i think pg getting back healthy and playing like he did in sacramento when he had 40 would be nice and hey there's always the possibility with the ages of some of these guys batum and covington and marcus morris and reggie jackson and Kawhi and pg maybe they all take enough of a step back all at once that this team just isn't a contender anymore but i'm i'm not going to write that off yet but i think it's going to be a process for them like i before i'm starting to buy them as like oh this is one of the elite teams in the league i'm going to need to see some sustained success and obviously the turn of Kawhi as well since we've already covered the lakers we can move on to the memphis grizzlies the grizzlies are four and two with a only slightly positive net rating plus 0.8 they are tops in the league in offense and 28th in defense harkening back to was that early two years ago or last year no it was last year last year where they were absolutely terrible on defense uh you know actually it might have been might have been two years ago also honestly where they they went through or maybe yeah anyway they've had some years where they've just looked really bad on defense particularly last year they're having some really rough shooting luck and then they went crazy they finished with the top five defense in the end but what did you say they were on defense again 28th but number one on offense and that's despite despite John Morant missing that game against the Jazz but the Jazz I I think their games are going to be some really fun shootouts we'll talk about them as well because I think we both watched a fair amount of their that real thrilling game in Salt Lake City on Saturday night where without John Morant non-COVID illness and who's now questionable for Monday's game against the Jazz the Grizz were not able to hold on but they're still four and two they've just had their two losses have kind of been bad they got totally waxed on the second night of a back-to-back by the Mavs and then they, they lost this one in Utah without Morant um but yeah I mean they are still projected for 52 wins did you do their win projections already no I did not um but 51 and 52 wins both are second in the Western Conference and over 90 percent chance of making the playoffs and yeah as you mentioned we both watched after the fact we both watched the um Memphis Utah game which was as you would put it a yarn it was it was a lot of fun and it was definitely different because of a couple high profile absences both Mike Conley and as you mentioned John Morant weren't available so that meant both teams were relying more on kind of sliding guys up the playmaking roles so that meant Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson were starting together and then Tyus Jones started and also we saw some Kennedy Chandler off the bench for the Grizzlies I thought that there were times that that kind of shifted the quality of looks that the teams were getting not a not a huge surprise and 
I I thought that one of the first takeaways for me, and this has come up with a few other teams. Uh, it's been interesting. Frank Madden's been tracking this. Partially, I was looking at it today. I'm like, damn, we're not doing a 50 and 60 on this with the Bucks. Of like, I thought that Memphis, especially against the Utah team that has some kind of like limited passers and limited creation, they were giving up way too many unnecessarily open corner threes. Like they were just reacting too strong to the drive and giving up open shots. And so Utah. This year's team is not as good at shooting as previous teams, but they were 19 of 44 from long range overall. Yeah, it really was not a lot of defense in this one. And part of that was the way that Utah is going. They really only played a non-shooting center for 23 minutes. A lot of it, including the closing group, was Olenek and Markkanen together. And that's not a great defensive group. And if John Morant had been available, the outcome could have been a little bit different. Not that Memphis didn't score well in this game anyway. But Utah's offense is fun to watch. I mean, they also closed it with Malik Beasley. And then they had Clarkson and Sexton. So those two guys, Clarkson and Sexton, were good drivers. They had Olenek spacing out when they switched they got it to Olenek in the post some they got Markinen cutting he's been devastating as a cutter this year finishing extremely well around the rim with some huge dunks he's well on pace for a career high in dunk taking advantage of a space floor really for the first time in his career that was definitely not what he had last year in Cleveland or on some of those bad Chicago teams that he came up with and Jordan Clarkson some of his passing again with the five out was really really good he had an assist to Olenek for a three he had the clinching assist they're up one to Malik Beasley through a laser pass that Tyus Jones just couldn't quite get to uh, all the way across the court to Beasley for a corner three I mean that's just a lot of firepower shooting the ball all five guys can shoot all five guys maybe with the exception of Beasley can really attack well off the dribble Olenek will kill switches in the post he likes to get deep position and so this is a pretty good offensive group for the Jazz and for the Grizz you know they couldn't play Steven Adams he got beat up in the fourth quarter speed wise they had to take him out they went with Clark and Aldama down the end which is about as good as you could do uh Bain was fantastic though Danny I mean he he just has continued this is a third straight 30 point game now Desmond Bain had that really rough shooting stretch to start the season and then beginning with the game you and I did for the NBA strategy stream he has been absolutely on fire that continued here they needed more kind of playmaking and it was honestly I thought Bain was better as a scorer overall but 32 points 11 to 23 from the field did a lot of it from from two-point range as well he was eight of 14 on twos got to the line eight times made seven of those and the like, some of them were really tough shots. Some of them were really well created shots. I, I I've continued to be impressed with Bain. I to me he looks another step above the huge step that he took last year. And I think in addition to just his fantastic efficiency, he's been one of the best off the dribble three point shooters. Although many of those are just of the one dribble fly by variety, rather than oh he takes three dribbles and comes off the pick and roll and pulls up. So I think that number is a little bit misleading because it's not. I don't consider them quite as self created now. But what I like about it is it just gives the Grizzlies something else that they can run, something other than the John Morant pick and roll and something that's going to have its own gravity where you can get two on the ball further away from the rim or you distract the defense with Bain running off a screen and then Ja can attack. And obviously the Spain pick and roll concepts can work really well with Ja handling and Bain setting the initial back screen and then popping out as well. So he's he had a rough start to the season as he had a rough end of the season. And I think his hamstring slash back were 
were part of that early on and and he's always got a heating pad on his back it seems like that's kind of a thing he's just going to need to be managing in his career but when he's right I mean he really just uh, looks awesome and I don't know if we're going to be talking about him as an all-star and there's just so many guys having great offensive seasons so far this year that it's way too early to start talking about that but for him to be a legitimate number two threat uh, would be massive for this team and when Jaron Jackson Jr. comes back these guys could go on a real run I I think as of now though you know they're kind of without jaw they their depth is a little compromised you know we had to get more David Roddy and Kennedy Chandler Kennedy Chandler I liked him in summer league his three-point shooting is a little broken he took a three that wasn't really very close when the defense went under but he's a really good athlete at the point guard position had a really nice drive uh, to open the fourth quarter one-handed finish any other Grizz thoughts oh, oh I guess we should talk about the end of the game that was pretty interesting yeah we should well b- before we talk about the before we talk about the end of the game I want to do Utah stats just so we can kind yeah, of have yeah, that yeah, up yeah, there cool. the Utah Jazz one of the other huge positive stories so far this year the Jazz are five and two and all five of their wins are against teams that made the playoffs in the 21-22 season. And not only that, but all five of them... Oh, sorry, that's not true. They beat the Rockets. So I guess maybe I maybe I had misheard that. Yeah. Um, but but, they but lost four of the five. As well. Yeah. yeah. But but four of the five and four of those five like are also against teams that I expect to make it this year. So it's not, you know, you're hanging on what they did, what they did last season. And so these are quality wins against quality teams. They're 12th in net rating, plus 1.2 per 100 possessions. 17th in offense, a surprisingly robust 12th in defense. I mean, that at some point we'll do. I'll do a full 50 and 60 on that. Um, both Raptor and Elo have the Jazz finishing eighth in the regular season in the Western Conference. Raptor with 43 wins, Elo with 48. Raptor gives them a 62% chance of making the final eight. Elo, 81%. And yes, these are preliminary numbers, but that is truly jaw-dropping, even if you thought the Jazz were going to hit their over, like to be in that possibility. And one of my favorite matchups in this game, and it was really particularly at the beginning of the fourth quarter that was fun, was they weren't always face squared off against each other, but they were a lot, was Brandon Clark and Kelly Olynyk, And so I thought that Brandon Clark, his energy making deflections and offensive rebounds and running the four hard was, was helping Memphis. It was helping give them an identity shorthanded in terms of creation, as we talked about before. Kelly Olynyk is a really fascinating antidote for some of that energy because he operates at a different pace at this point in his career. He doesn't really get rushed. He can take advantage of overaggression by drawing fouls, by... He is the most underrated big attacking a switch in the whole league. He scores, like, every if he has just a one-on-one matchup against a smaller guy, like, he's just going to score on it. He also had this gorgeous... I'm not going to explain it fully correctly, but he had, like, an impromptu kind of, like, screen in the flow of a play. Like, it was basically somebody passed off, and he, I think he basically saw what they were doing. It didn't look to me like something Will Hardy had called, and just, like, screened open a guy for a wide-open layup. And he also has... Uh, Kelly Olynyk kind of paralleling it's funny considering considering their history there's there are parts of his game like now that are a little bit more like Kevin Love where you know making decisions quickly and making the right decision is really important you know so, and and so you don't have to be fast but if you're thinking fast it can help a lot and Olynyk's not the best defender in the world but I didn't see him making a ton of mistakes out there and he had a couple where he got his hand on the ball kind of could see where it was going and it was he's been I've appreciated him a lot more. Let's put it that way. I've appreciated him more in this jazz team than in some other stops. Yeah. And he's just kind of been playing center 
the whole time, like not playing with the four and just kind of damn the por- torpedoes on defense. Uh, but the key to their defense so far has been second in the NBA in forcing turnovers, about 17% of opponent possessions. And that's that's a number that's going to come down some to be sure. And they're not really that great anywhere else, but they're not suffering from like insane op- or, or uh, benefiting, I should say, from insane op- opponent shooting luck or anything like that. They're doing a good job, at least of avoiding fouls. That's another reason these Jazz games have been so entertaining is they never get to the foul line and neither do their opponents. Uh, they can't get a defensive rebound to save their lives either, but they are forcing teams to take a more difficult shot mix, uh, even though you know they don't have great rim protection on this team necessarily. And so I, I was, I'm just shocked at like this idea that this is going to be a team that forced a bunch of steals and they don't have anyone who is an amazing steals guy. The leader on this team in per 36 steals is Jared Vanderbilt, their center. Uh, and he is a really good defensive player. Taylor Horton Tucker has forced some turnovers as well, but they've got a lot of guys who just, you know, are averaging like 1.6 steals per 36 minutes. And Will Hardy is preaching a little bit more pressure. Obviously the jazz were annually at the bottom in terms of forcing turnovers. Locke told me they're going to pressure more. I was like, how are these guys? Gonna He's like, Oh, you know, we're going to really have a lot of pressure and blah, blah. I'm like, who, what? Like <laughs> other than Vanderbilt, like who's good at that on this team, but it, it's been enough to add up to where that's been really the factor that has made their defense respectable. Oh, by, so by the way, on the Jared Vanderbilt point, he had seven assists in that win they had over Memphis on Saturday. That was, I, I didn't in like 23 any- minutes. Yeah, seven assists in 23 minutes, and it was it was a fun game, and part of what made it so fun was the completely bananas ending of this game. So Malik Beasley makes a three to put the Jazz up 124 to 120 with 23 seconds to go. And yeah, that was that was the great Clarkson pass that I mentioned. It earlier. was yeah, the great Clarkson pass you mentioned before. And then about I think it was about five, six seconds into the play, the refs originally rule that Dylan Brooks turned it over. Jenkins, great, I mean, absolutely mandatory challenge, basically, because the game is over if you don't get it. Challenges that they say was off the jazz, and so it's then Memphis ball. I personally thought that the shot that Dylan Brooks took well, after that... Quickly on, on the challenge. Sure. Uh, it was a good challenge. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't a play. It's one of those ones where live, you're like, okay, that's a jazz ball game over. But hey, you know what? Like, just take the chance of the weird Zapruder film review where, okay, the guy clearly hits it out of his hands, but then his hand slapped off the ball just a millisecond before it went off the guy's fingertips out of bounds. And so in any gym worldwide, that's just the, the other team's ball. But when you Zapruder film it, it's like this. And I was reminded of the rule change at the start of last year where they weren't going to review every out of bounds in the last two minutes of the game. And I personally think that the rule should be, if you're going to review it, that unless there's a second touch by the offensive player that if you knock it off his hands okay yeah the fact that he was still it was technically touching his hands when he no longer had control of it a millisecond after the guy knocked it out of his hands it's now going to be off him that's just not the way out of bounds has been called and we just didn't have the technology to zoom in in hd and see that hey you know all those times that you got stripped going to the basket and it didn't go off your leg or something no that was actually off of you if you slow it down to just like the absolute millisecond so i think that those calls are kind of unjust that's just not the way basketball is meant to be played and so i love that they've gotten rid of the automatic reviews because i thought that now they're actually doing a better job of again just calling it the way basketball was meant to be called 
called. And guess what? If you have a challenge left and there's something egregious where it's, you know, clearly went off the guy's foot or something, you can still challenge it if you saved your challenge. If not, you know, the rest might miss that. But compared to the danger of these super slow it down, ridiculous overrules that nobody live could have ever possibly seen, no matter where you're standing, I like it better. And, but good job by Jenkins to just know that, hey, you know what? Like these ones that obviously look like they're out of bounds off the defense, well, a lot of times they're not if you super slow it down. And so he was able to get the overturn uh, with that one. So sorry for the long rant there, but I, I just, I wanted to say how much. He, I've enjoyed, I'm generally in favor of getting it right, but I just don't, I think the replay was just more often getting it wrong, at least as I see the right and wrong with uh, how Audubon should be called. No, I, th- I think that's totally worth getting into. What did you think of Dylan Brooks' shot after Memphis got the ball back? I thought I thought it was a, a rush and it just wasn't a particularly good look. Well, I mean, they're down four, so you got to just yes, that's true. jack up the first possible three, and he made it. So He did. Uh, uh, but yeah, then it was crazy at the end where you know, Utah, because I knew the final score, it's 124-123. I'm like, okay, so does Utah like miss two free throws? Is there a turnover? There's this wild possession where it looked like it was about to be a jump ball he spins out of it Markin is open underneath Markin decides to shoot a layup with 6.3 seconds to go but misses it why you would ever do that i have no idea he, like slam the layup off the back door i guess he and, and he also like fouled. he yeah he could have gotten fouled i i think Markin, if he had really wanted to probably could have burned a couple seconds just dribbling because yeah, there were so like many they have players to follow you there were so <laughs> many players around jordan Clarkson. i personally thought it was a foul before it was a tie-up but it, it was it both looked like of those. you know uh, like bunch of six-year-olds playing soccer were like everyone just runs the ball <laughs> yeah it was completely ludicrous and and so like out of this mask comes Lowry Barkin by himself and if you dunk the ball if you dribble it he out wasn't in else, position to dunk it he was but it seemed like he was like he, contested like just wait there and let him follow yeah, you yeah anything anything else like that but so so he loses it and misses the layup Grizz get the ball but a couple seconds come off just with the missed layup so the timeout occurs with 3.2 seconds left well and the Grizz they wanted to push the ball up and try to get the the tying play but they really should have called timeout it was about five seconds left but they didn't realize it until too late I think Jenkins actually called the timeout for the bench but they had already advanced the ball so they just had to inbound it from right there with 3.2 remaining right and then and they put the ball in Desmond Bain's hands appropriate considering the game that he had and I personally thought that Colin Sexton made contact refs are always reluctant to give a foul like that but But, because Bain Bain slipped down so violently that it almost seemed like there's no way it could have there's no way that what Sexton did to him could have caused that it seemed like he just his foot slipped out from under him as he was coming off the screen trying to get the ball and make his turn uh because there had been another deflection further up the court there's only it was under two seconds to go and they inbounded from about mid-court and but they never got the shot off in the end when Bain went down um we we should also talk about Larry Markinen's ridiculous left-handed reverse dunk on the baseline my single Uh, favorite play of the entire game and it began with a Quinn Snyder thing it began with a go and catch yeah and and so he did that and then it was just a one of my favorite dunks I've seen so far this season just goes you know is has the advantage and then goes all the way to the opposite side and kind of kind of crushes it over his own head on the opposite side of the basket i just love the visual of it 
Yeah, it wasn't quite Vince Carter going past Chris Mullen his rookie year on the baseline, but it, it was it was the finished version. Um, anything else on this one? I, I think this will probably be our last uh, for today since we're almost two hours in already, or, or I guess ninety minutes in. But I, I'm well, I'm probably ready to call it quits until tomorrow morning. How about I'll take the lead and we'll talk about one other team just because I think you could make an argument it was the biggest story in the NBA this weekend. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. And that's the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, yeah, I guess we do need to talk about and, this. Right. And so the Spurs, um, actually, do you want to do their fundamentals? No, I, well, I I would. I personally don't believe this is the biggest story in the NBA. I think that the Kyrie uh, anti-Semitic promotion, but Jewish, perhaps that resonated with me a little bit more. No, oh, that's because we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to I'm talk com- about comple- that soon, Completely fair. Good. I think in part because the Primo situation has something closer to a resolution. Yeah, whereas- well, Kyrie, yeah, and, and Kyrie, uh, this was... As Woj put it, uh, and I agree with him, a jarring situation, whereas Kyrie is, uh, this bullshit is completely expected from him at this point. Um, and, and also for Kyrie, I mean, this is whatever, man, I, I, I'm, I'm so pissed off. That's Fair enough. It's pretty close to home for me, but, but anyway, yeah, let, let's get to Primo. I mean, we'll talk about the Spurs and their record and stuff in a second, but, uh, this was just, you knew something weird was going on when they had picked up his rookie option. He was the youngest player in the draft last year. They seemed very high in him. Greg Popovich had all this great stuff to say, but he seemed like kind of, you know, a soft-spoken young man. Like you never had heard anything about him having any kind of issues and they picked up his option and they just straight up released him. What was their statement? The part of the statement that I thought was, was telling. And honestly, it made me think I, I, I got worried about like wild stuff that it could be. And of course their speculation, if you want to go in the corners of Reddit and every other thing, there was a lot of stuff that was out there was from RC Buford. It quote, it is our hope that in the long run, this decision will serve the best interest of both the organization and Joshua end quote, meaning Josh Primo. And so you're like, Whoa, what the hell could this be? And we got, and, and then we got the statement from Primo to, to Woj that, um, in part, uh, pr- from Primo's perspective, I've been seeking the help to deal with previous trauma I suffered and will now take this time to focus on my mental health treatment more fully and hopes to discuss the issues fully or in the, in the future. And there was a period of time. I mean, usually this stuff, whether it's TMZ or whatever else, gets out pretty damn fast. And we got a lot more information pretty quickly here, too, because there was this there was this brief moment in time where, where first of all, you're like, there has to be something big here. The Spurs would you know, they just picked up this option. And he's making four point three million for next year. Like, would a team even consider claiming him off waivers? My theory had been that everyone would just be frozen. Like, the thing that it would take for the Spurs to do it, if the, if even if it didn't become public or even private to them, you would just scare him off. And we did get more of that from Ramona Shelburne and Woj on, su- on Saturday afternoon that 
there are multiple alleged instances of Josh Primo exposing himself to women. It appears that, and, and um, the attorney Tony Busby. Well, who, well quickly, this when this came out first that the that there are these instances that wasn't I think reported initially. No, but. It was clear to me that if he was released this quickly over these allegations, that it had to have been something that occurred within the Spurs building. And because they, if they had like this type of firsthand knowledge of it to where, you know, it wasn't like, okay, we're going to suspend him. Let's get all the facts. You know, they, they knew the facts. It seemed very clear. And why would they know the facts? Well, probably because it happened within their building. And well, it, as, and, as and it because, out, that's the and, and because the timeline was so fast. I mean, we we covered we did a gamer on their on the win over Minnesota on Monday and Josh Primo played in that game. And so and then he was waived on Friday before their game. So we knew it had to be something that went through really quickly. And you could think about the processes that have been extremely long in certain other cases. And so I agree with you. It was I had thought of it that way. You thought of it. And I was like, oh, that's that that's a very good idea. So we'll, of course, have to see how this process plays out there will be a lot of you know i don't know if it'll be adjudication we'll have to see that tony busby who represented multiple women in the out in the lawsuits against sean watson is representing a woman who worked for the spurs and has alleged that primo exposed himself to her so presumably there will be more phases with this and primo's place within the nba and everything else is going to be complicated for now and i think that's all we need to say on that but well, I, I guess I mean there's the decision to waive him, right? It, there's we've seen other situations. Probably the closest thing, and I frankly this isn't fair to Kevin Porter Jr. to bring him up, but just in terms of a guy who clearly was talented, that the organization was very intrigued with him on the floor, but just decided to give up on. They actually traded him for basically nothing to Houston. The the Cavs did after some incidents of misconduct, but that's like basketball related misconduct. This is like real world criminal civil liability misconduct that we're talking about here and more details on on this may end up emerging there's the Spurs certainly could face some legal liability there uh, particularly if you know there are multiple instances of this alleged so if this happened once and no action or inadequate action was taken and then it happened again there could be serious legal exposure for the Spurs in this instance and again we have multiple instances and exposing himself to women so that's more than one woman also and if this was reported and the Spurs didn't do anything about it immediately and then it happened again that would be a a big problem and you know even if they said to him hey if you ever do this again we're just going to straight up release you now the other thing is I mean clearly this would be suspension worthy this would be league suspension worthy he's going to get paid I'm not sure what happens if once you are waived can you still end up getting suspended by the league and losing your money that you are owed once you're waived? I actually don't know what happens in that instance. Uh, but the Spurs clearly didn't want to be associated with him at all in terms of the organization any longer. But I, I have a feeling this story is not done much as many people would really like it to be. Uh, and it's a, obviously just completely unacceptable behavior. And regardless of our other, uh, oh, he seemed like a great guy or whatever, like it's that's irrelevant. It is. It's a and completely unacceptable stuff. It, absolutely. And we'll shift awkwardly to the basketball part of it. And it's an, another incredibly surprising story for San Antonio 
five and two. They are, despite being five and two, they're twenty third in net rating, negative two point one per hundred possessions, fourteenth in offense. Yeah. Well, well they, I mean, playing the juggernaut Hornets in the first game. I mean, how could they have possibly yeah. uh, be expected to have a good net rating? Of course, and they are fourteenth in offense, twenty third in defense. The not surprising to see a huge difference in the five thirty eight models. Raptor built on player rigs still thinks that the Spurs are flawed. They're thirty five wins projected, and then forty three. I mean, thirty five wins is a lot better than like the oh, yeah. low 20s 22 and a half over under I sure mean, 30 that's what they had last year although yeah. they had actually had a pretty much a neutral point differential last year i believe so and that also reflects in the playoff odds 19 percent raptor 63 percent on elo the spurs beat the timberwolves again so the set of three games in six days is complete the spurs going two and one winning one of the two in minnesota and then beating them at home this is the Spurs. This is their best start to the season since 1819 and the second best start to a season in franchise history. They were 6-1 huh. and one that year in 1819, which is truly incredible. And yeah, they, they typically would get off to a slower start, see, even during the dynasty year. They would. And so you're like, okay, how are they doing it? And San Antonio, you know, through these games, we talked about the, neg- the negative differential, but they're... 14th in offense and 23rd in defense is not like, I mean, I picked their over, but that is not the way I expected it to happen. I thought they were going to have a strong foundation defensively, and then they would struggle immensely on the offensive end and figure it out. And I was very surprised by it. And and you know, they're like, okay, well, how is that happening? They're, they are turning the ball over a lot. They fell to 29th. Yep. They had been 27th in turnover rate. Yeah, yeah, that was fascinating too. I thought, well, hey, young team, normally they would just be throwing the ball over the gym, but Greg Popovich teams don't turn it over and they got Trey Jones is a, good, a low turnover guy, but no, they are. I mean, that's the one thing that's really holding back their offense. It is. And they're 16th or better in all of the other four factors. They're grabbing a ton of offensive rebounds, getting fouled at a respectable rate, which is also somewhat of a surprise. And then they're 11th in effective field goal percentage, which was the most surprising of those to me because I didn't think this team was going to have a lot of, you know, have a lot of shooting and San Antonio, the disparity of being 19th in location effective field goal percentage and 11th in actual effective field goal percentage in part because they're number six, they're making 40.1% of their threes and going into their win over the, over the Timberwolves, I was like, well, who's making threes for San Antonio? The answer is everybody who takes them basically. So Keldon Johnson going into tonight's game, he was taking nine and a half per 36 minutes, making 42% building on last year. Devin Vassell making 39%. McDermott at 43. Josh Richardson at 45. So obviously fantastic. You expect there to be some regression to the mean there, but fantastic. You still get that start. And then the other thing that I kind of preliminarily when I saw their defense was that bad relative to my expectations. My theory was that it falls off a cliff when Yaka Pirtle sits. And that, that line with part of that was informed by when I've watched the Spurs, which has been a fair amount so far to start this year as it is for everybody. And that theory has mostly borne out if you want it in kind of the, the basic numbers. They're around league average, a 113.5 defensive rating when Yaka Pirtle's on the floor. And then that goes up to a, I guess you could call it an unsightly 127.4 defensive rating when Josh, when, when Yaka Pirtle's on the bench. Yeah, Pirtle has been a bellwether for them, both in terms of allowing shots at the rim, not fouling, 
now some of it is uh, that three-point disparity that you often see particularly early in the year i think he's a big bellwether for them in the offensive end too where they're so good on the offensive boards and and he's just been an absolute monster with you know, all, almost 20 percent offensive rebounds uh coming into today's action so uh, we'll see what his fate is going to be we'll see what this team's fate is going to be but they've been like with the jazz they've been competitive with good teams they took care of the bulls uh, took care of the wolves uh, at least teams that are supposed to be good wolves uh we'll get to them they've certainly been struggling on the offensive end we'll talk about them more tomorrow anything else you want to say about these guys i think we're i'm uh I'm pretty much spent. I believe that's all I have. All right. Well, that is all we have for today. There's just so much to say about these teams early on in the season. So not only did we not get to it in 60 minutes, but we're not going to get to it in a minute and 40 or so, or well, that's, that's evidence that I should stop talking and go to bed an hour and 40 or so of recording time. If you are on the public podcast, you can catch the second half of this on Dunkdown Prime. You can also catch John Hollinger, who is on every week now on Dunkdown Prime as well. Please give it a shot. We've got six pods per week, including John's, and we are your one-stop audio shop to learn everything you need to about the NBA. And then we've also got Dan Feldman doing our daily dunks, his uh, breakdown of the biggest news of the day in both newsletter or audio format, uh, and also uh, links to great analysis there as well. That's uh, about a seven or eight minute reading of uh, his analysis uh, of the day's news that's on the feed as well. So we've got a ton more content on Dunkton Prime, really proud of it, and uh, hope that we can be your essential stop on the audio side to being an nba fan and learning more about the league link to that of course that is in the show notes if you're on the public pod and we will talk to you all next time at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.